Welcome to the Hills. I know that besides just speaking to people at South Lake Campus and West Fort Worth Campus, I'm talking to people online and I'm talking to a lot of guests. So allow me for the first several moments to deal with some family business. Two weeks ago, we celebrated the news that we will be moving later this fall into a new campus for our West Fort Worth family. And it is completely paid for, and they will move into it debt-free. Now, if you're a visitor, you might think, how does a church move into a multi-million dollar new home with no debt? And that's a great question. See, two years ago, in November of 2017, we launched something called the Courage Campaign, an audacious attempt to raise $30 million to do four things, to cover two years' worth of church plants and mission work. That was $5 million dollars to uh, build a new campus for West Fort Worth, to renovate our South Lake campus, and to give our children's ministry at the North Richland Hills campus a facelift, big, audacious go. So we promised updates, and I want to do that right now. Here's where we stand. Right now, we have received $18 million, and $3 million of that is unpledged giving. We'd have another $6 million in pledges uh, that we hope will come in by harvest November of this year. So, uh, that's not $30 million, but I am going to celebrate what has happened. Let me uh, give you some context. You've given in two years $18 million to the Courage Campaign. You've given another $2 million to our two renew offerings. Besides that, we have a $12.5 million a year annual budget that you have met. In the last two years, this church has given $45 million to the mission here at the Hills. I think that needs to be celebrated. Amen. So that is where we currently stand. So what does that mean? Well, the elders want you to know they're still committed to all three projects. I think God led us to those conclusions. We are still committed to being a debt-free church. We don't do what we can't pay for. And so they've prayerfully decided, the elders of all three campuses have agreed on this, our next big project to undergo in the Courage Campaign will be the renovation of the South Lake Campus. Now, we don't yet have enough money. So what that means is we're going to extend the Courage Campaign for just one more year into November of 2020. What we need this November for our normal harvest offering and the extension is $5.6 million. The first 2.6 we collect will go immediately to fund church plants and mission works. The other $3 million, if we collect that, we'll have enough to break ground next spring and pay for the South Lake project. So that's the plan. Why South Lake next? Again, all the elders prayed about this, and we've concluded that we would prioritize the projects based on the way they were impeding growth. Now, if you've been to the South Lake campus, and I was there just last week, you know that building is a mess. The auditorium is too small and funky. You have no way to get access through the rest of the building without having to walk right through the auditorium, even during worship time. They have no atrium. They have no place to have any kind of event or church gathering. Uh, That building is impeding the potential of that campus to reach people. 
So we've concluded that's our next project. We're talking to the city of South Lake right now to get the proper permits so that when the money comes, we can break ground next spring. Why are we extending the campaign for one more year? Three reasons. Number one, some of you have said, I fully intend to keep my pledge and fulfill it. I need a little more time. Because of some changes in my finances, I just need a little more time. So we're going to give you one more year. Also, in the last two years, a lot of people have come to our church that are new, that have not participated. This is your on-ramp. This is your way to join us in sacrificing for the mission of our church. And then finally, there are some of us who have made pledges and kept them, fulfilled them, and we think God is calling us to do more. So I make you a promise. I'm not going to stand on the stage this time next year and say, we are extending the Courage Campaign for one more year. The Courage Campaign ends November of 2020. So what does that mean for the North Richmond Hills campus and the kids' ministry that needs a major face lift? Just because it's not as pressing doesn't mean it's not as important. The only thing that has changed is the timing. It looks like it's going to be a little more in the future than we had originally hoped. The kids' ministry and the building committee are meeting to talk about how to look at the plans and what we need to do to go forward. Everything over the 5.6 we collect in November, and I think we will go over because you're just been generous. Everything over that will go into a fund for the kids' uh, part of our building at North Richmond Hills campus. Also, to show you how committed our leaders are, you know at North Hills campus, there's eight acres of unused land to the east the church has owned for years. We've never had plans to build on that land, okay? You're going to see a for sale sign on that property soon. We are going to sell it, and all the money we get from that sale will go into the fund to renovate the kids' area of North Hills campus. Now, that sale won't completely cover the cost, but it is a huge, big step. So, Right now, what we need to focus on is that this November, we need to fund our mission work and raise $3 million to finish the South Lake project. We say that we're one church, we're in three locations. We've always had great unity in our church. We believe that a win for one campus is a win for all of us. When Jamie and I made our pledge to the Courage Campaign, we weren't giving to a campus, we were giving to the mission of the Hills Church. And we were trusting our elders to take the monies and decide how to prioritize what would happen next. So that's a lot to absorb in just a couple of minutes. There is a a fact sheet out on the Next Steps uh, booth at every campus. If you want to know a little more, you can talk to a leader, an elder, a minister. And you know what? You can email me if you have any questions, and I will respond. But not during the Cowboy game, okay? I will not be emailing during the Cowboy game. I will be praying. So, (laughs) we start today a new series called Kingdom Come. To set it up, let me tell you a story about my youngest, Matthew. When he was nine, was more excited about his next birthday than any he's ever had. Because to Matthew, it was a big deal to become ten. Because that means you are double digits. And he kept talking about, I'm going to be double digits on my birthday. 
the night before his birthday, we put him to bed and we said, Matthew, when you wake up tomorrow, you're going to be double digits. We went to sleep. About three in the morning, we heard a pounding on our bedroom door. Now, every parent knows when a child pounds on your door in the middle of the night, that's usually bad news. So I jumped up and rushed and opened the door and there stood Matthew. I just thought you'd like to see what a 10-year-old looks like. (laughs) Now, we all have had that moment for someone shows up unexpected, and the first thought that goes through your mind is, what are you doing here? Especially if that person is considered to be important. So the news media in the Metroplex went bonkers this last week when Zeke Elliott showed up at the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. What is he doing here? And so, what we're going to do for the next few weeks is ask the question, why did Jesus show up? What was he doing here? Because whether you think he's the son of God or not, you have to admit Jesus of Nazareth is the most influential person who has ever lived. No one has had a bigger impact on history. And so a lot of people want to take his coming and use it to promote their own agenda. But the thing is, we can go straight to the source. We don't have to wonder why Jesus came because he told us that what we're going to do the next several weeks is just look at some of the clear statements of Jesus. This is why I have come. But to understand why he came, you have to first understand who he was. Who came? Because Jesus came as a king. Every Christmas we celebrate the arrival of Jesus. We celebrate the birth of our Redeemer. But we should also celebrate the arrival of our ruler because he came as a king. So a, a virgin named Mary, a young teenage girl out in the countryside around Nazareth, got a visit from an angel who stunned her with this announcement. You're going to get pregnant and still be a virgin. And this is what the angel said about the baby she would bear. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. He came as a king. And so some wise men showed up in Jerusalem. And do you remember their question? It was not, where is the baby? Their question was, where is he who has been born king? They were looking for a king, not for a kid. How can he be born a king? Well, he was born a king because he was a king before he was even born. That's why Herod felt threatened. Herod didn't send soldiers to Bethlehem to murder baby boys because he didn't like baby boys. But because he wanted to get rid of a challenger to his sovereignty. You see, Jesus' arrival is proclaiming a dominion that has no rival. Now that's big because everybody loves Jesus, but a lot of people want to give Jesus an extreme makeover and turn him into someone that he didn't say he was. 
Oh, Jesus was a very good man. Jesus was a great moralist. He was a wonderful teacher. He was a great ethicist. But the Gospels depict Jesus as a sovereign who is exhibiting a dominion that needs to be recognized and emphasized. They do it in so many powerful ways. Like in nature, Jesus could just think a thought and fish would swim into a net. He could speak to the wind and the waves and they would die down. Because nature recognized It's king. He could say to people who had demons, come out. And the demons never talked back because the demons recognized their master. Even death did. You have several stories in the Gospels, a little boy, a little girl, a best friend. And Jesus could look death in the eye and say, give them back. And death obeyed. Because death knew who was king. And so the gospels are presenting this narrative of a king that you need to recognize so that you'll stop giving your life to all these illegitimate imposters out there that are claiming an authority that isn't legitimate. It's like the story of the DEA agent went to a ranch in South Texas and said to the rancher, I'm here to inspect your ranch for any illegal drugs that might be growing. Rancher says, you can go anywhere you want except that pasture. The DEA agent reached into his pocket and pulled out a badge said, do you see this badge? This badge represents the federal government. This badge says I can go wherever I want, whenever I want, no questions asked. Do you see this badge? Ranch says, okay. A couple of minutes later, he heard the screaming. That agent is running, being chased by a two-ton Brahma bull. Rancher says, show him your badge. Show him your badge. <laughs> and we spent a lot of life surrendered to illegitimate authority. And so when we talk about why did Jesus come, we'll look at some wonderful, wonderful passages. But you have to see all of them through the lens that he came as a king. And he came to bring a kingdom. Now, I don't mean he brought the kingdom of God into existence. The kingdom of God has always existed. But he came to bring the kingdom of God within reach. And this was Jesus' gospel. You see, Jesus comes to bring us good news. And that's what he would do every time he had a chance to preach his go-to sermon. Now, you know what I mean by that? We preachers sometimes get asked to speak places. And I'll say, what would you like me to preach on? They say, anything you want. Well, I'm going to go to my go-to sermon. If I can preach on anything I want, there's something I'm going to preach on. And so Jesus' favorite subject to preach on was the gospel of the kingdom. In Matthew 4, it says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. At the end of Matthew, as he's gathered his disciples and before he's about to be crucified, 
He says the good news of this kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. So the disciples understood our mission is to go to every nation and preach the good news of the kingdom. And they did in Acts chapter 8. Now the people believe Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many men and women were baptized. That's what happened when you get this good news. When we baptize people at the hills, you notice we typically ask two questions. Do you believe that Jesus is who he claimed, the Son of God, Savior of the world? And do you understand that by being baptized, you're publicly declaring that you are surrendering your life to his lordship? You see, the gospel is not just offering a savior. The gospel is offering a sovereign. The good news is not just that we can be saved from something, but that we can be saved into something. The kingdom of God. You see, the good news is that our God is establishing his dominion on this earth through Jesus Christ. By the way, that's very good news because we're running the earth and we're screwing it up. Okay? So God, through Jesus, is establishing his dominion on the earth and we are being invited into it. He is sending through Christ the Holy Spirit whose overruling power releases us from the bondage of all these illegitimate authorities that are messing up our life so that we can have the life God intended us to have. So please get this. This is big. The gospel is more than just forgiveness. The gospel, the good news, is freedom to transfer your allegiance to a better king and a better kingdom. And that's why whenever Jesus preached his go-to sermon, his big point was repent. Matthew 4 says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And repent is not a rebuke, it's an invitation. Jesus is calling us to see these lesser kingdoms for what they are so that we can make a better investment with our life. Because Jesus is coming to show us true reality. The enemy wants to deceive us. The enemy wants us to think all these other kingdoms are reality. And that's where we should invest our lives. The enemy wants to seduce us into believing these other dominions are legitimate, especially the kingdom of me. You see, most of our frustrations and struggles in life revolve around the false narrative of self-sovereignty. I hope that didn't go over your head because that was deep. Most of the frustration in your life is because you bought into a lie that your sovereignty is legitimate and needs to be promoted. It's like the two couples 
Now, the, the couple that was having an argument, and they decided to give each other the silent treatment. This went on all weekend. Both were just too proud to humble themselves, say, I'm sorry, and start talking again. So it's Sunday night. He's got to get up early the next morning and catch a flight. And he knows he's going to need help waking up. But he doesn't want to say to her, would you please wake me up? So he just writes a note and puts it on her bedstand, wake me up at 5 o'clock. He wakes up the next morning at 9 o'clock. He has missed his flight. He is furious. He's going to go find his wife to chew her out. He sees a note on his side of the bed with her handwriting. It's 5 o'clock. Wake up. (laughs) And that's what's making the world so messed up. That everyone's trying to build their own kingdom. Everyone's trying to promote their own sovereignty. And nobody's recognizing the others. And the lie is that my happiness depends on you recognizing the legitimacy of the kingdom of me. So I am going to let you in on a very important secret. Everybody lean in. You ready? You ain't got a kingdom. Only Jesus does. That's reality. And it's only the acceptance of true reality that's going to make us serious followers of Jesus. You know why most people just play church? Because they think Jesus is crazy. He's constantly saying stuff that has no effect or impact or help in promoting the kingdom of me. Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Store your treasure in heaven. That's crazy in the kingdom of me. Jesus said, if someone takes something that belongs to you, just let them keep it. Don't even ask for it back. That's crazy in the kingdom of me. Jesus said, if somebody curses you see how quick you can bless them back that's crazy jesus said if somebody hurts you you forgive them whether they deserve it or not that's crazy jesus said you want to be great then you be the least And you see how you can be the servant of everybody. That's crazy. Unless there really is a kingdom of God. Jesus was trying to say, I'm telling you the truth. You are trying to find your joy in building a kingdom that's not real. Your highest joy will be to line up your life with the one unalterable reality. That it's about that kingdom come, not my kingdom come. And so Jesus would say, and it's simple, but it's not easy, but it's simple. He would say, seek The kingdom of God above all else. You got to seek it. 
reason you got to seek it is because there's still a lot of fake kingdoms out there seducing you and calling for your allegiance. The kingdom is currently like a mustard seed. It's like a treasure hidden in the field. You got to seek the kingdom of God. But you can find it. And you can enter it. But only on the king's terms. Because Jesus comes to call us to surrender. The first thing you must know to seek the kingdom first is that you're not first. Jesus is. So, I want to show you one of the rarest and most important pictures in history. It was taken in September this month, 74 years ago. It was just after World War II. Japan had surrendered. And this picture is very rare. Only one taken was of General MacArthur with Emperor Hirohito of Japan. Japan has surrendered. MacArthur is governing Japan. He's decided to use the emperor to help restore that nation. Now, the emperor had a real mystique in Japan. Most people had never seen him. And if they did, uh, they always took pictures of him at an angle that make him seem bigger than life. But in that picture, he's little. MacArthur towers over him in his military gear. And, And so the Japanese papers didn't want to publish the picture. But MacArthur ordered them to, to send the message of who surrendered to who and just who is really in charge. Jesus did not come to be your trusty assistant to help you build your empire. He came to be the master of every part of your life. Your job, your finances, your sexuality, your language, your hobbies, your entertainment choices. There is not one single square inch of your life where Jesus doesn't show up and declare, right here, I am king. That's why he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God's kingdom is present whenever we are doing what God wants instead of what we might think in our flesh we want. And that's what he meant by repent. When we hear the word repent, we think, stop doing bad stuff. Don't look at porn and don't get drunk and don't use bad words and don't lose your temper all the time. Well, yeah, you should stop that. But when Jesus said repent, the kingdom is here. He was talking so much more. Jesus was saying, you've got to surrender all those kingdoms you have, those places where you call the shots and your will comes first. Jesus is coming after your kingdoms. So there was this young man that came to see Jesus. He was a very moral man, decent guy, very wealthy. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus 
went right after his kingdom. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. It wasn't a charity issue. It was an idolatry issue. You have to surrender your kingdom to follow the real king. And look what the text says. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw this, he said, okay, we're about to read a statement we don't like, and so for years we have massaged it and tried to make it saying what it doesn't say. We're going to just read it and let Jesus say what he said. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because we like our kingdoms. We don't live in abject poverty like so many billions of people on the earth. We have resources. We can do what we want. And if we have a problem, we can spend some money and we can try to fix it. We can get our will done. This is why it's hard for us. It's hard for us to enter the kingdom of God because it would mean giving up our own kingdom. But Jesus won't change the terms. He comes to call us to surrender, to call us to sacrifice. But I got to thinking, is that really a sacrifice? Because unlike the other kingdoms, anything I surrender to Jesus isn't lost. You know why it's good news? It's good news because I don't want to spend my life building what is eternally irrelevant. And it's just going to burn when the real king comes back. But what I do for Jesus is going to last as long as he is on the throne. And how long is he going to be on the throne? Forever. If it's just a cup of cold water, if I do it for Jesus, it lasts forever. This is why we do what we do. This is how we answer the question, what are you doing here in East Africa building a Christian university? Because when we train young Kenyans and Ugandans and Rwandans and Tanzanians to be Christian doctors and educators and lawyers and business people. They're going to go all over East Africa and they're going to be planting the seeds of the kingdom. That's why we do that. This is why we send missionaries 27 all over the world, including countries where it is illegal to have a Christian church. Because they're sowing seed, and we believe the kingdoms of men can't stop the kingdom of heaven from going where it wants to go. This is why we support 30 church plants in some of the most unchurched cities in America. Because everybody should have the chance to hear the good news that there's a better king and a better kingdom that could release them from the bondage they're in right now. And this is why right here in Tarrant County, I don't apologize for trying to build our campuses and create spaces and places where people can come and be encouraged and loved on and hear this good news. This is why my wife and I gave 
like we'd never given our life to the Courage Campaign. If you knew our age and if you knew our financial situation and I told you what we did, you would say we were crazy. You know what? We gave it with joy. God has blessed us and we're going to give some more. I don't say that to impress you, but because I want you to know your pastor believes this stuff. Okay? It's not that complicated. If a guy can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, then he's the king and I'm not. I'm putting my future in him. And so I'm going to spend my life and I'm going to give my money and I'm going to use my time building what lasts forever, not what's going to burn. I'm absolutely sold out. I believe so much in the destiny of the kingdom of God. I'm going to tie my own destiny to it. I'm doing some preaching right now. I'm going to amen myself if you don't start amening me. I believe this stuff. I believe he is king of kings and lord of lords. I believe he came as a king. I believe he conquered the grave. I believe he sits on the throne. And I believe Jesus is coming to reign over all. Now, I don't understand a lot of what happens in the world. Except to say this. The kingdom of darkness is still here. And I know sometimes it doesn't feel like Jesus is on the throne. But remember, the kingdom has come, but the kingdom of darkness has not yet been made to leave. But the day is coming. The illegitimate reign of the devil was doomed the day that Jesus walked out of that tomb. And his dominion is going to be ended forever. What Jesus came at Bethlehem to inaugurate, he's going to come again to consummate. And everything that rebellion against his reign has marred and broken and screwed up in this world is going to be made right again. The powers that be are going to become the powers that were. And every tongue is going to bow and confess the church's only creed that Jesus is Lord. That's the future. And if you choose to believe he's coming to reign, it will affect every other choice you make. So, one last picture. This is Alex Honnold. In 2017... He became the first and still only person to climb El Capitan, that 3,000-foot sheer cliff of rock in Yosemite, free solo. No ropes, no equipment, just hands and feet. At one point, he hung 1,000 feet in the air by his thumbs. He crazy. But he knows what his life is about. He knows what his kingdom is. He lives a lifestyle known as dirt bagging, living most of the year out of a van. He says, I want to climb in the best places in the world. That's my focus. 
So I'm willing to give up having stability, having a shower, having whatever in order to climb the way I want. I'm probably more intentional with the way I live my life than virtually anybody. I have made clear choices about what I find value in, what risk I'm willing to take. I'm doing exactly what I love to do. It's very easy for someone sitting on the couch at home to condemn it as crazy and stupid. But I can justify all my choices. Can you say the same thing? about your life. You have to choose. You're crazy. Following Jesus will make you seem crazy to people. And so, if you don't think he's king, if you don't think he conquered the grave, If you don't think he's coming again, you're crazy to be here. A lot of people are just playing church when, in fact, they're devoting their lives to building their own kingdoms. But if you do think he's Lord of Lords, King of Kings, he's on the throne, he's coming again, he's conquered the grave, and at his voice, every single dead person is coming up out of the ground. If you believe that, and you're not making every single choice consistent with that, then you're crazy. You've got to choose. You're crazy. I'm choosing. The man who predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off. In the name of Jesus, he's the king. Let's pray. So God, would you please give us ears to hear this message? Holy Spirit, would you burn into our hearts what we need to do with this word? Because it's true. It's true whether we like it or not. It's true whether it makes us comfortable or not. It's true whether we want to live it or not. We don't own kingdoms. Jesus does. So God, give us eyes of faith today. Eyes of faith to see the kingdom among us right now even when it's hard to see. Give us eyes of faith to see the future and the day when He will reign over all the earth. Give us eyes of faith, God, to see an empty tomb and make every decision this next week in light of that. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Bring your kingdom. Amen.